Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast with Steve Gordon. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and uh, this is going to be a really fun interview today. Uh, today, I'm talking with Paul Jarvis. Paul is an entrepreneur, and he is the author of the new book, Company of One, Why Staying Small is the Next Big Thing for Business. Um, and uh, and I've known of Paul and kind of followed his work for probably four or five years, maybe longer than that now, and, um, and, and actually, I'm a customer of his. Uh, through some of the courses that he has taught over the years. And I will tell you, there are few people out on the internet that think more deeply about what it means to run a, a small service business and, and, and do it in a really intentional way. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun today. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, Paul Jarvis, welcome to the Unstoppable CEO. Yeah, thanks, Steve. I appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, you know, I just finished the book last night. Um, it came out, what, about a week and a half ago and um, promptly got my copy on, on the day that it was released, thanks to uh, Jeff Bezos. And uh, I, I, love, I love the approach to the book, so I'm excited to jump into that. Before we get to the book, give everybody a little bit of background on, on you, how you got to this stage of, of your career. Yes, I've worked for myself for about 20 years, but I didn't that was never the aim. I didn't. <laughs> I, I accidentally became an entrepreneur because I had, I was working for uh, an agency. This was in the '90s. I was working for an agency. I loved the clients. I loved the work. I didn't love the agency, so I quit. And I was going to go look for another job at another agency. And the day after I quit, I started to get phone calls from the clients saying, Hey, Paul, we liked working with you and we like doing the work more than working with the agency. So just let us know where you're going to go next. We'll bring our business there. And I got a bunch of those calls and I was like, Hmm, maybe I can just work with these people on my own. And I didn't know anything about starting a business and, but I did. And I, Guess I haven't. I guess I haven't looked back from there because that was, yeah, prob uh, probably about twenty years ago, which is awesome and also makes me feel old. But then, <laughs> since, <laughs> since then, it was mostly um, design and online consulting, and I've worked with everybody from pro athletes like Steve Nash and Shaquino, Shaquille O'Neal to like huge companies like Microsoft, Yahoo, Mercedes, and then and the the latter part of the service uh, work that I was doing, it was with online entrepreneurs like uh, Marie Forleo, Danielle Laporte, Chris Carr, um, those sorts of really awesome and intelligent business people. And so you started off in services. You've made now the transition to uh, really a product-based business. Yeah. Um, and so just share a little bit with folks about what you're doing now. Yeah. So nowadays I, I do a lot of things. I mean, I just wrote a book, Company One, like you mentioned. So books is uh, a fairly big focus of the work I do. I also teach a few courses, uh, one for freelancing, one for uh, MailChimp. I also host a few podcasts. One podcast is Company One, like the book, and the other one is Creative Class uh, with Kaylee Moore. I think those are all the things. Oh, yeah. And I have two software products that are... <laughs> it's bad when you don't remember the things that you do. But yeah, I have two software products. One's a privacy-focused analytics uh, business, and one is uh, a course, a WordPress course uh, completion product. That's a pretty long list. That's <laughs> that, that's not one business. That's a lot of little businesses, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. But 
so as you've built those businesses up, I mean, starting from when you left the agency, I would imagine that it hasn't been an exactly perfect straight line upward climb to where you are now. What have you done as, as obstacles have been thrown at you? Things have gotten tough just to kind of persevere and keep going. Yeah. I mean, it was t- like, I, especially at the start, Steve, it was tough because I was really good at the, at the job that I'd done. I was just really good at doing design and working with clients but I didn't know how to run a business. Like I knew nothing. I dropped out of university uh, before that. Like I had never taken even a single business course. So I didn't know anything about running a business. So I failed so hard at the business side of things for the first probably couple years. I'm a slow learner. It took me me a couple years to really kind of get that dialed in. And there were some times when I had one client who didn't pay me. I think they didn't pay me every month for six months. And then I realized like I'd been setting this, I'd basically been telling this client that, hey, if you don't pay me, that's fine. I'm going to keep working. I've been working for you for six months without a paycheck, without getting paid um, by you. So things like that, it was just, uh, it was just really difficult um, to do that in the beginning. And then even in the moving of products, I think that a lot of times people think like, oh, okay, well, if you want to make products, you like you just go out and make a product and it does really, really well. And it took me, I think, almost three years, two and a half, three years to move from services to products because it's a, it was a slow build. Like it wasn't just all of a sudden like, oh, I have a six-figure product and another six-figure product. It was like, okay, I got to launch something, see how it does, see it does all right, and then work on it a bit and then relaunch it and then work on it a bit and relaunch it. So it's been a slow, it's been a slow progress and it hasn't been, like you said, it hasn't been just in the direction of up and to the right kind of thing. But I don't know. I think that, I think that resilience is probably one of the most important things because I think things like don't always go right. And it's really difficult for things to always go right all the time. But I think resilience and Dean Becker studied resilience and found that resilience is actually more useful in business than education, training and experience. And it kind of makes sense because a lot of people who work for themselves, a lot of entrepreneurs need that. Like they need to, and it's not something you're just born with. It's something that you, which is good because I don't think I was born with resilience, but it's something that you can kind of work at. It's something that you can kind of um, kind of build up as you go. And it really just is three things. It's accepting reality because we don't control everything. It's having a sense of purpose because even if things go wrong, we still have a direction to move. And it's the ability to adapt because as things change, we have to as well. I love that the, that way that you've kind of condensed that down. What, what really, I'm, as I'm listening to this, I'm just frankly shocked. I mean, you didn't, you didn't make the transition from services to products in a weekend. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what it's the way it's supposed to work, right? I read an article, 10 ways to do it tomorrow. Um, you know, um, I appreciate you sharing that because I think for a lot of people who are, are in business, particularly if you're in the first decade of a business, um, and, and I'm on business number two and, and the first one went longer than a decade and this one's about to hit a decade. And until you get, I think kind of get to that point where you've seen a lot of different things kind of happen to you and realize how, how the game really works. I think sometimes it can be really difficult, especially now you you look around. I mean, everywhere you look, all the marketing that's being thrown at us is 
you know, how, how somebody woke up on Monday morning and by Tuesday they were making seven figures. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, there's uh, just, I think there's just a, a nuance to wisdom of just doing a thing for a long period of time. Like it just, and, and that's not, that's not what's sold. That's not what sells easily either. I mean, I have a business that sells the hard, the hard way of doing things, but it is, it is, I think, a more honest way to do things. And it is, I think, a better way to do things. Like you don't get the, the nuance of wisdom of running a business from reading like three articles on Medium. You get it by, by focusing on it for a long time. Like maybe it's not a decade, but it's definitely not a week or two. How, I know you're not big on social media. Um, in other words, you're not a big participant on social media. Um, you do a lot of things in your business to kind of stay focused. The big fear I, I hear from folks is that if they disconnect from all that stuff, somehow, you know, their business is going to come crashing to a halt. But, you know, I, I've watched you over the last four or five years as, you know, somebody that's been on your list. You're very focused. How do you maintain that? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm focused on my customers. And that I don't need to talk to my customers on social media. Like, I don't care if we're having, I've never even had a Facebook account. We're not having conversations on Facebook. Like we're having conversations on, like I'm focused, I guess, because, because my focus is more on retention than acquisition of customers. I don't need to go onto platforms like that to grow because my business is already at a size that's enough. So I just need to focus on, talking to the customers that I already have through things like you said, like my, my weekly newsletter. When people email me from that, I, re I read it and I reply and I can, I can manage that easily because I'm not, I don't need to look at Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram or anything like that. I can focus just on the things that matter. And I don't even think those platforms matter that much. Like it has, I don't think it's hurt my business that I'm not on Facebook. I don't think that people seeing picture like, well manicured pictures of, of my life that isn't actually real on Instagram is going to make more or less people buy a book or a course from me. Like I would rather just focus on, on the people who are paying attention and they're paying attention through my mailing list and through the communities that I built um, through the products that I sell. And those are like, yes, it's, it's not, those things aren't public. Like people, the public doesn't see the emails that I get and the replies that I send, but I don't, it doesn't matter. Like I'd rather build relationships like that than, than be using um, a tool that somebody else owns, um, especially for nefarious reasons. And in, in some cases <laughs> where they're selling data, like I just, I'd rather run my business with a focus on the people who are paying attention and just pay attention to those people. And that's always served my business. Well, for, for 20 years, it served my business. Well, you said something that I think is really important and I, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but you said, I don't think this has hurt my business. And it, the, First thought that that uh, jumped into my head was, well, who, who's the judge of that? Well, of yeah. course, you're the only judge of that, right? Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, yeah, success is personal. Yeah, like, I, I, I think so like many I, of us. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I sort of, yeah, I feel like I, I feel like my business doesn't like it has enough revenue, has enough customers. Like it does well. And I love the, the way that it works. And I also love the freedom that I have because I don't have to make it epically huge that like I'm happy with where my business is at. I've been happy with where my business is at for ages. Like 
I'm not, I don't make as much as Elon Musk, but I also don't work 80 hours a week like he does and sleep on a couch in my office because I can't go home like he does or be afraid to take vacation because the last two times he's taken vacation, his rockets have exploded and he kind of doesn't have in his head the difference between causation and correlation. Like I can, I don't need to stack myself up against other business people because I don't, I don't have the same values as them. I don't have the same goals as them. I don't have the same like drive to be everything as they do. I just want to have enough. I just want to have a comfortable life and a bunch of customers that I really like to have and, and talk to and, and engage with. I want to come back. We're going to take a quick break. I want to come back and I want to talk about this idea of enough. That's kind of central to your new book, Company of One. Um, and I want to dive into the book. There's some fantastic lessons in there. So we're going to be right back with more from Paul Jarvis. Hi, this is Steve. I hope you're enjoying this interview. We've got more to come in a minute, but what I'd love for you to do right now is rate this podcast. Leave us a review, rate us on iTunes. It'll really help others discover the podcast and help us help other CEOs, other business leaders become unstoppable. So if you go to unstoppableceo.net forward slash iTunes, you can find instructions there and links that will take you right to where you need to go to review the podcast. Thanks so much. Now back to the interview. Welcome back, everybody. This is Steve Gordon, and I'm talking today with Paul Jarvis, author of Company of One. And, and Paul, you left off with this idea of enough, and and you talk about this a lot throughout the book. Uh, I think this is a just a critical concept that for most of us growing businesses, the, there isn't some infinite scale that awaits. I mean, it, most businesses just aren't going to do that. You've approached this from a perspective of of kind of defining what enough means. You want to talk a little bit about that and and your perspective on it? Yeah, I think that so first I think that defining enough is different for everyone. But I also think that enough is the like counterbalance or antithesis of unchecked growth in business. Because I think that more doesn't always mean better. Like if you looked in a thesaurus, more and better aren't synonyms <laughs> of each other. And I think that it, it's difficult, right? Because like when we start a business, we we have to have growth. We have to go from zero, from nothing to something. We have to grow. We have to be growth focused. We have to adopt a growth mindset at, at the onset because we need to go from zero revenue to some revenue or we need to go from zero customers to some customers. And so it serves us and it serves us well in the beginning to focus on growth. But, and this is where I think a, a lot of times things go astray is if we never consider growth making sense until it doesn't, or if we never consider that growth can stop or that growth can be evaluated, then we're never going to stop that focus that we have in the beginning that works in the beginning, that if we go from nothing to something, that's good. If we go from no revenue to some revenue, that's amazing, right? But if we never stop to consider like, well, maybe this is enough for me right now, or maybe this is enough for my business, or maybe my business generates enough revenue with enough customers for me to be happy and have freedom in my life, then we're just going to keep chasing growth. We're going to keep running towards it. And it's like running towards the horizon. It feels like we're making so much progress. We're sweating. We're running. We're going full out, but we're not, we're never getting there. Like you, you can never run to the horizon. Like it feels like we're making progress when maybe we're not. And I think sometimes business growth absolutely makes sense. 
And sometimes business growth just means more stress, more responsibilities, maybe even more expenses, maybe even more risk, right? So I think that unless we question it, unless we think like, well, how much is enough? How will I know when I've reached it? What will change what I do? Will this is enough right now good enough? Or do I need more? And sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes it's no. Yeah, you know, it's interesting as I was reading the book and the beginning of the book, you talk a lot about this idea. And I found myself just in my own head struggling with this concept because I think there's so much pressure in the business world about I've got to get to the next level. And, um, and that's talked about a lot. It's promoted as the thing to do. And it, it, I, I had to get into the book a little ways. And I finally, it finally hit me what you're really trying to communicate was that it's not about whether or not you should grow. It's really about making a conscious decision about whether or not you want to grow and what does it mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, because- sense like a a business like airbnb it it doesn't make sense if one person was running it and they had two properties available like that doesn't make sense for a business like that it doesn't make it doesn't make sense to be a one-person shop but for sometimes sometimes it does and i mean i think a lot of times we we start a business and we run a business and if we're lucky enough for it to succeed we don't consider the lifestyle that that business is going to give us right? Like we don't consider, well, maybe if I started Airbnb, uh, it has to be a a bunch of people. It has to have a lot of properties. It has to have this scale of this volume to succeed. And for somebody like me, if I looked at that business and I looked at, well, how would this, how would this business growing to its organic right size affect my life? And it would be, I would be like, I don't want that. I don't want to have a ton of employees in offices around the world doing that. Like that's not a product that I would ever want to build because that would give me a lifestyle that I don't actually want. Right. And so a lot of times business owners don't think about, well, what's the, like in best case scenario, like if this thing does well, if this thing succeeds, what's that going to look like? Like how will the growth that this thing required affect my happiness or how I want to spend my day or my purpose for doing business in the first place? Well, and not thinking about it leads to what, I mean, we all have heard talked about, which is, you know, where as a business owner, you're both the the jailer and the inmate in a prison built for one, mm-hmm. you know, and you're trapped in this thing. Um, and I think that really comes from, from not having intentionality about what it is you're really building. Um, I, I think there's lots of different ways to grow a business and you can certainly grow it for revenue. Um, you can grow it for size and impact. Um, you can grow headcount. Um, you can grow freedom for the owner. There, there are all kinds of different ways that you can create growth that, that is meaningful and will help you achieve whatever goal it is that you have. I, I, what I love that you're bringing to the front of mind here is just be clear about what you're growing. Mm -hmm. Um, so you talk in the book about the fact that the title's a little bit of a misnomer. Like you're not talking about a literal company of one. Um, can you share a little bit about how you see this concept of company of one, how it plays out inside of a business, what it really means? Yeah. And, and like you said, it's, it's not meant to be literal. My business isn't even a one person business. I have 
usually about four or five freelancers that I'm working with, two or three partners that I have in, in different businesses. And it's just like Tim Ferriss's four hour work week isn't in, like nowhere in the book does he say you work four hours and you're done. See ya. Like it's more of a company of one is more of the mindset or the philosophy in terms of if you can make something work in its smallest form possible, if you can make something work at one, if you can get profitability to happen without scale, then maybe you can scale. But it's a freedom to grow, not the, well, I'm successful, therefore I grow. And I think that the thesis of the book is really arguing that the, the byproduct of a business success isn't growth, it's the freedom to choose when growth makes sense. Because it absolutely does. Sometimes you do need to go from one to more sometimes, but not always. And it shouldn't be just a, a given that, oh, well, I'm successful. It's got to grow. And I mean, that's what you see in business books and on medium posts and in the news is like growth is always good. And I mean, throughout the book, I cite tons of studies where growth is actually the worst thing, rapid growth, unchecked growth, unintentional growth is the, is the worst thing for business is what it's like the leading cause of business failure. Yeah. The, the, um, study around the Inc 5,000 that you share in the book, uh, to, I was frankly shocked by it. I had no idea that the numbers would be that dramatic. Um, but I think you shared it was some, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 80% of the Inc 5,000, which are the supposedly the 5,000 fastest growing, companies in um, in the country were either out of business or you know acquired or significantly smaller after what about five years yeah five to eight I think it was like 76 percent of businesses on the Inc 5000 list five to eight years later had either gone out of business sold for pennies on the dollar or been acquired at a ridiculously low rate not because markets changed or not because they had made bad products, but because they had chosen to put growth above profit. Because in most of the time, it's hard to focus on profit and growth at the same time because growth requires expenditures. Growth requires forsaking profit now in the hopes that profit happens later or that profit happens at scale or volume. And that, like, that's a risk that a lot of businesses take because they think, oh, well, that's the way that you do business. And for myself and for pretty much every single story in the book, it's like, no, it, you can focus on profit. I mean, Basecamp is probably the best example of a business that has always been profit-focused and profit-driven as opposed to growth-driven. And yeah, their numbers have increased, but their numbers have increased based on them focusing on profit and not based on them saying like, oh, we're going to spend, I think over the course of their life, and I think Basecamp is about 20 years uh, old or so, there was only two months where they spent money on something like paid acquisition. And they just tried it for the sake of, let's see what happens. And I'm all for experimenting. So I think that was good. And it didn't actually, and they spent, I think it was like 140, 150 grand a month on Facebook and Google ads for a couple months. And they found that their vanity metrics increased, like maybe the number of the, the hits that they got on their, on their landing page increased, but the revenue didn't increase. Their customers didn't increase. If they did get new customers, they churned out a lot faster. And so they abandoned it, which I think was probably smart on their part. But they, in, in focusing on profit, it means you're focusing on retention over acquisition. It means you're focusing on how you can have good margins where you're at instead of hopefully having 
good margins like after you hit a hundred thousand customers or a million customers or something like that. Yeah. And it, it makes for a calmer business. I mean, when you're profitable month in and month out, Mm -hmm. just makes life easier. I think, I mean, you don't have as much to worry about. Um, you know, the, there's no shoe that's about to, to drop. Um, so let's, let's talk for a minute about attracting customers and growth because you, you address that in the book. Um, and you actually, um, you talk with a few business owners. I, I, maybe, maybe it was even on the podcast that you, you built around the book who have in the past gone down that route of, of fast growth, paid acquisition, trying to do all of these great things to, to generate the growth. And they've pulled back from that. Yeah, it's, I think it, I think the, the study was it's five to eight um, time. It's five to eight times harder and more expensive to get a new customer than to keep an existing customer. And it just feels like in business, basically, there's there's two options. You can keep making it to, to sustain a business, of course. You can either, one, make uh, like continual or consistent money off of the same user base or just continue to attract more and more users all the time. And that's the case where it costs a lot more to do. It, it takes a lot more time. It takes time to build like trust and rapport and get attention from new people constantly. And where I think a lot of people in the book and, and my own business included, it's like, I like the audience that I have now. I like the size that my audience is at now. So I would rather just continue to, to make things for them, for them to buy either repeatedly like a software subscription or new products every, every year or two that I know my audience. Like I talk to them every single week. Every time I send out a newsletter, I get 150, 250, 300 emails. Like I have a direct connection with my audience. I can get to know what they're working on, what they want from me, what they're struggling with. And I can make things for them. And it's easy to make things for them because I know them, because I understand them, because I can empathize with them. And then when it comes time to sell to them, it doesn't need to be this grandiose sales pitch and this like 18 email sequence thing. It's just like, and, and usually I talk about the things that I'm making, sometimes like the book for years <laughs> in advance because it takes a long time to, to traditionally publish a book. So I've been talking about it with my mailing list for probably about two and a half years now, <laughs> which is a long time. But then when it comes time to sell, it's not like I don't have to get that. I don't have to have this spiel to, to sell. It's just like, hey, you know that thing that we've been talking about for a little while? Well, it's available now. And if you want to buy it, great. Here, you can buy it. If you don't want to buy it, that's, that's cool too. Get the next thing. Like It's not that big of a deal either way. And it just becomes so much easier to sell when it, there's a relationship and a rapport and, and a cadence of communication happening where it's just like, I don't really need to sell. I just need to like mention that, hey, that thing that we've been talking about, it's available. You want it? Cool. No? That's cool too. Yeah, it just simplifies the whole process. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't have to hard sell anyone. And, uh, uh, you've got to be, of, of all the people selling things out on the internet, you've got to be the antithesis of, of the hard sell. <laughs> so you've, you've built a successful mailing list. And I want to, I want to touch on that a little bit because, you know, to, to make all this really practical, for, excuse me, to make all this really practical for people, like if they're thinking about, okay, what are the, some of the, the, the really kind of 
down to earth things I can do to stay small and stay scrappy, but at the same time, expand my impact without expanding maybe my physical you know, footprint of the business. Um, I'm going to guess that you would say your mailing list is probably one of the most critical things for you to be able to do that. Would that be accurate? Yeah. Scale without growth. That, yeah. That's basically what a mailing list is. It takes me just as long to write an email and send it to you as it does to write an email, pop it in a MailChimp and send it to 30,000 people. Like there's not many other things. And most of those people are going to open it and read it. Whereas if I posted it on Twitter, which is the only platform I'm on, I think I, I don't know, I have like 20 or 25,000 followers on there. Like five <laughs> at most will probably see it. Maybe one of those five people are going to click on it. Like it's just, there's just no other thing like bang for buck that, 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 that has this like scale without growth where I can, I like, I don't need to hire people to, to like, uh, if my mailing list grows by like a thousand people. I don't need to hire another person to manage those people. It's just, I, I, there's just, I just pay probably like 30 cents more or a dollar more on MailChimp and then it's good to go. Right. So like things like that, I think are, are really beneficial when you're, when you're running a business that wants to challenge growth where say, like, well, what can you do to, to reach possibly more people if that's what you need to do without having to do a lot more work to, to do it or without having to hire or spend more to do it. And for me, it's always been my list. Like my mail, like all roads in my business lead to and from my mailing list. Like that's where it's like 95, 96% of my revenue is generated through emails. And it's like, it, all of the other things that I do is such a, like, it's that time, like it's barely a sliver in the pie chart of like all of the other things like social or, or anything else. Like it's all a sliver that's like incomprehensibly tiny in like the chart of like the revenue that I've generated uh, probably for the last seven ish years has all been mailing list related and email related. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I think one of the challenges that people have with that is that, uh, I mean, it's, it, yes, it scales, but if you don't show up on a consistent basis, you don't get the benefit out of it. So certainly you could show up once a quarter or once a year with a mailing list. Or if you and, have something to sell, which is what most people do. Or, or do what? I'm sorry. Or, or if you only show up and email people when you have something to sell them. Yeah, that never, that that, that, that's usually a bad idea. Um, you know, there's there's something magical I think about that that medium that allows you to create relationship, but the the relationship comes from the consistency of showing up. Um, I've never and, missed a Sunday in six years, other than when I take scheduled breaks. Like I've never, I, it's called the Sunday dispatches for a reason. Because if it's Sunday, you're gonna, gonna gonna get an email from me, unless I've told you in advance that. I'm not sending emails through the like Christmas holidays or something like that because people are busy then anyways. But yeah, I show up with a regular cadence that builds trust and rapport with my audience and that's reciprocated by the ones who find value in the things that I do then buying those things. Yeah, and uh, the, I think the, the, the really interesting observation that I've had from watching you now I've watched you, you know, been on your list probably five years now and just watching all the way through how that works. Um, you're really focused on being very, very straight and very helpful. And what people are hearing 
through the audio here, this through this conversation is exactly what it sounds like when you get one of your emails. <laughs> you know, there's there's that authenticity to it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not smart enough to be somebody else. <laughs> writing. Right. It's kind of what it comes down to. But as well, like I, I also don't feel the pressure to be somebody I'm not. Like I don't need to pretend to be. I, I don't need to put on airs to be like, oh, if this is an email that it's selling something. It's like, oh, I have to act a certain way because I'm trying to sell something. It's like, no, I'm just going to be me. Like it's that's the way, and that's like the 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 biggest compliment I get as a writer is that people tell me like, oh, you write the way you sound. I'm like, good. <laughs> That's kind of the point. Like, I don't, I'm, I'm never going to pretend to be somebody I'm not. I'm never, it always just rubs me the wrong way when I see um, other people with audiences who kind of put themselves above their audience. I'm like, why are you doing that? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, does it make you feel good if you do that? Because, like, I would rather just be like, I'm just a person doing the same thing as everybody else in my audience. Like, I'm in the trenches working just as hard as everybody else. And I'm just talking about it. Like the only difference is I'm talking about it and it's not, I'm better than anybody. I've just, I don't want to be better than anybody. I just want to be the same as everybody. And I think that just, that just helps build that relationship. Like I'm super available to my, but it's funny. Like I'm only super available. I, I say I'm super available. Then I think about my contact page, my contact page on my website doesn't have any contact information. It says, pretend I'm dead. <laughs> find information about me somewhere else. But then my newsletter, which goes out, I don't even know how many, it's like 30 or 32 or 33,000 people that goes out from my personal email address. Like if somebody replies to that, it goes to me. I don't have a, an assistant. I don't have like robots reading and replying to emails. So like I'm a, I'm hundred percent available to the people who are paying attention and I'm not available to the people who aren't or to the people like when I had my email address on my website, Steve, I would get so many pitches. I think somebody sold my email address that I was a reporter because I write for every business publication, but I'm not a journalist. Like I'm only covering things that benefit me on these publications. So I'd get pitched so many times. So I'm just like, if somebody wants to get in touch with me, they, they just need to be like on my list because then they're paying attention and then they're probably going to be cool anyways. Well, I, to me, that's a huge takeaway for, for folks who are, are listening, who, you know, a lot of people in our audience, they're not professional marketers. They're, you know, they're doing their thing every day, serving the people that they serve. And a lot of times they look at, at all the things that, all the advice out there for marketing, and they think they've got to go be something other than what they really are. And, um, and, and I think that can be a really dangerous thing. The, the one thread. I mean, I, I've interviewed now over a hundred people on the podcast, all of them usually pretty good at, at creating an audience and, and, and showing up in this way. And the thread that runs through all of that is the people that are most successful are doing exactly what you're doing. They're showing up just as themselves. They're yeah. not trying to, you know, bring forward the latest, you know, email headline hack or something. They're just showing up and being themselves and, and then responding to the people who are paying attention. Yeah, I think intentions shine through whether we want them to or not. So if my intention is just to like hustle and like either churn or burn my list, like it's people are going to notice that and people aren't going to like it. Whereas if I just show up as like me, then the, the people who are interested, and that's why I have a swear word in my, in my welcome email because some, I don't swear often, but like sometimes a swear word slips in and it's authentic and it's actually the way that I speak. 
And so I want people, like if people are going to be offended by just like one little thing like that, it's just like, you, you, find, you can find somebody else. Like there's lots of other people. I understand if you're offended by that. I'm offended by things that you're probably not. So I just try to be like as, as real as possible. I think my welcome email also talks about how I was so happy that somebody signed up. I went and got their name tattooed on me, which I'm covered in tattoos from basically my throat to my toes. So that's kind of on brand. And it's just like, I just want people to know that there's definitely talk about like, growth and and passion and and motivation and all of that in that welcome email too but like i want people to see like this is exactly who i am this is exactly the type of person that you're signing up for this is exactly the things that i talk about and the way that i talk about them like determine right now if this is if this is a good fit for you and if not there's a massive unsubscribe link for you and i there's no hard feelings if you click it it's just I want people to see like, okay, well, it, are you in the right place or are you not? Because I know I'm not right for everybody. I know my message and the way that I talk, my personality is not a good fit for everybody. And I'm 100% happy with that. I don't want to be so watered down that I'm like a mass market type person. Like this is why I don't do television because like it just wouldn't work out to like water down my message in a way that would reach um, the volume or the scale of that. So. But that, that, that benefits me. It's funny that the email that I sent that generated the most revenue, like the one email that generated the most revenue that I've ever generated in my business was an email that ended with, I, I was going to have like a buy now. It was for a course that I was selling. I was going to have like a buy now button and maybe like an arrow pointing to it because that's what you're supposed to do. And I was looking at it and I was like, this, like, this isn't me, man. Like this just isn't like, this doesn't, this doesn't work. So I swapped it out with a picture of my pet rats. And I'm like, if you want to buy this course, click my pet rats. And then like, that was the, and like, nobody else could do that. Like, it's funny. Cause like we could copy anybody in terms of like a product that they have or the execution that they have or the content that they have. But it's incredibly hard to copy somebody's personality. And especially like, it's impossible to copy somebody else's personality authentically. And I think that's what the that's what the differentiator is for for a lot of people that that do all right is that they just have a personality that that just that group of people are are happy about and happy to hear from and happy to learn from. And it's not for everybody, but it's definitely for the right people. Well, I mean, to me, that that's the ultimate answer to commoditization. We work with businesses in all kinds of service disciplines and the common complaint that you know comes up and it's come up for the last eight years that that i've been in this business is that yeah you don't understand you know it's all price driven it's all about commoditization and i'm sitting there shaking my head going no you fool you've decided to put yourself there you know use the th the the single best thing that you have that's unique which is you mm -hmm. and lean on it hard because when you do, people will respond to it. Um, I, you know, I'm sure you you get this all the time. I know we do. I, you know, our our model, you know, is, is that we do done for you services for uh, marketing services for our clients. And so early this week, I talked with a couple of potential clients, and we always ask them um, when they sign up for an appointment, well, what is it that attracted you to this? And um, and the the longer we've been in business, the more often that answer comes back because I just really like Steve's approach. Yeah. And that's just because I'm showing up. I mean, it's not that I'm particularly brilliant, but 
I get to show up like this and have conversations with really smart people like like Paul and and you know you guys get to hear my voice and so you think that but um, you know but this is it this is as good as it gets so uh, well, I'm sure you see that all the time for sure and I think that that differentiation through personality is how you compete at the top of market commoditization and competing on pricing is how you compete at the bottom of the market. And it's harder to compete at the bottom of the market because it's so like just, oh, this costs less or this could be delivered faster. Like it's really high and it's like a numbers and volume game and it's hard to compete there. I don't actually know how to compete there. But if you look at the, the highest end product in any niche, in any market, anywhere, those things have the most personality. Those things, it's like, the Porsche brand has much more personality than like the, the car manufacturers that sell cars, which are cheaper. Even I did a survey <clears throat> of my mailing list. I uh, was probably two or three years ago. And I asked probably the most important question that I've ever asked my audience, totally unintentional too. I was not like me being smart. I was just like, no, this is just a question I'm curious about. Like, let's just throw it, throw it out there and see what happens. And the question that I asked was, why did you buy from me? Because everything that I sell, there are variants of it online. There's a million freelancer courses. There's 13 million probably business books on Amazon. Like there, there, there are so many examples of products that I sell that lots of other people sell. So I was like, why me? Why'd you buy from me and not somebody else? And the only answer that I think I probably got, so it was statistically relevant. It wasn't just like two people who replied. I think I got like 25 or 3,500 replies. And the answer from everybody was because I was the one selling it. Because I was the one that they wanted to hear from. I was the one that they wanted like a take on a topic from. And it's not just like, this isn't just saying like, oh, I'm like, my personality is the best. It's like anybody, whenever somebody buys from somebody else and not somebody else. It's typically if we're competing at top of market, then it is that personality. It is that, well, I feel a connection to that person. I feel a connection to that brand. I feel a connection to that person's personality or way of sharing because the way that I share, the way that I talk about things, the way that I express myself is different from other people. And that's, like I said, prior to this, like that, that is what's very hard to replicate. Like people can try to replicate that. People, when I was doing websites for a living, I, one of the clients that I had, I think I mentioned was Daniela Port, and she's like ridiculously famous and popular in her industry. And so people would always come to me and say like, like I, I worked with her for 12 or 13 years. People would always come to me and be like, like the potential clients. And they're like, Paul, I want you to design me a site like Danielle's because they saw that hers was successful. My answer was always no. My answer was always no, I, one, I don't want to, but two is not going to serve you because you're not Danielle. You're, you're you, right? Like, but that's what people, people think like, oh, well, if I just have something like this other person, if I just pretend I have the personality of somebody else, it's like, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't, it, it's just not like, I'm not going to say yes to things like that. And nobody would say yes to things like that. You know, the, the, the word that popped into my head as you're describing the response you got back from your list on that question is, is relationship. Really mm -hmm. what they're telling you is I'm buying from you because I have a relationship with you, whether sure. they've ever met you or not, they feel like that they have that. And that's the power of, of the things that we're talking about today. I mean, for, for those of you listening, th this stuff is not that hard to do. Um, 
in, in terms of the technical skill or the level of intelligence that it takes, it's hard because you have to do it consistently. It's like any relationship that you want to create in your life, you know, whether it's with your spouse or have a good relationship with your kid. If you're not there on a consistent basis, showing up in their lives, good luck. You're not going to have a relationship with that person. They're going to go, who? Yeah, it, it's so true. That's why I have, uh, that's why I, that's why I have, it was probably one of the smartest things I did in my business was I named my mailing list, the Sunday dispatches, because it forced me to send out emails. <laughs> you got to do it every Sunday, right? Yeah. But like six years now, November, I think it's November 7, 2012, I started and it's been consistent and people see that consistency and people see like, oh, geez, Paul cares, Paul cares so much. Like Paul cares about this list so much that like he's writing me something every single week. Like he's, he doesn't miss weeks. Like I don't only send emails on Sundays when I have something to sell. I send emails on Sundays because that's, that's the relationship that I've established with those people. And they, they like that and they trust that and they, it builds that rapport to, to, to make them want to buy if the, if it is in fact something that they want to buy from me when I'm selling something. Very good. Well, I know we're, uh, we're over time and I'm sorry I've kept you long, but it was a great conversation. And I think it's going to be really beneficial for everybody listening, particularly if you take some of these ideas and begin to take action on them. They don't work unless you take action. So Paul, um, first, I want to give you a little bit of a plug. I think for anybody that um, is looking to figure out how to communicate with their audience, you need to go get on Paul's mailing list and, uh, and do that at his website, pjrvs.com. Um, I'll also tell you, if you use MailChimp, you need to buy his MailChimp course because he will tell you how to actually make MailChimp work for you. Um, so beyond those two plugs, um, Paul, wh where should people go? Um, I highly recommend they get the book. I just finished reading it. It's, it's probably one of the best business books I've read in the last year or two. So uh, you've done a great job on it. Where, sh where can they go and find more about you and the book and everything else? Yeah, um, Google Paul Jarvis. Google my name. My URL is pjrbs.com, which is impossible to remember, but luckily... I'm apparently good at SEO, not on purpose, <laughs> but if you just Google my name, you'll find my website. And like we've been talking about, my mailing list is the best way to keep in touch, see what I'm working on and to have conversations with me. Absolutely. Well, go do that as soon as you, uh, if you're driving, as soon as you park the car, um, go, go Google Paul Jarvis and get on his mailing list. Uh, you'll, you'll learn a ton from it. And, uh, um, I think you'll, ha you'll just be able to take those ideas and put them right into your business. So, Paul, thanks for being here. Great talking with you and uh, congratulations on the new book. Yeah, thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating on iTunes at unstoppableceo.net forward slash iTunes.